Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you're listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast, where we connect the dots for women storytellers. Simply put, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And today I get to sit down and chat with Tony. But I think even when you do get those big breaks, you're still going to have to like keep grinding and working hard and you just cannot give up. I'm excited. Thank you. So what is something that people don't know about your journey as a filmmaker? Because of the social media age, we can do a lot of research, but what is something that you would want somebody to know who's listening? Probably want people to know that it's not easy. I think with social media, I think one thing that frustrates me about social media is that people have a perception about me based on what they see, people that I work with or, you know, that, you know, people that I, that I collaborate with, but myself and a lot of those very successful people that I've worked with have had really hard journeys. And I think as for being a, a woman and being African-American or black rather, which I prefer, I prefer to be called black. I like black. For me, it is just being like, I guess they would call me a double minority is what I'm called in advertising circles. It has not always worked in my favor because you get pigeonholed. And for a long time, people didn't think that women were capable of doing certain things. I I really attribute a lot of my success as of late to the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. and social media, like the social media outrage. When you see these big corporations putting out commercials and content that are just tone deaf or insensitive. So that has actually forced the industry to start to pay attention to not only creators of color, but also female creators. So yeah, I think that for young, you know, for like millennials, like, you know, I'm in my thirties, but people who are younger than me think that they are kind of going to have an easier role than I've had. And I'm happy about that. But I think even when you do get those big breaks, you're still going to have to like keep grinding and working hard and you just cannot give up. Because eventually if you're good and you have to be honest about your talent, then it'll all come together. You brought up a, a very interesting point when you mentioned social media. And I was going to ask you, you your opinion. Do you feel like as a creative um, or even as a filmmaker that you have to have a social media account? Me and my... um. I call them my sister friend tribe filmmakers. We have a debate about this. So we're going to let you settle the, the debate today. You know, it's funny. Um, a few years ago, I, it was a couple of times where one, one of my bigger clients, it was one job they had and they didn't have, they didn't hire me because my social media following wasn't that big. And I'm just like, but I'm creating, I'm not mm-hmm. like promoting, but they wanted someone to direct the spot who had a big following who could like post about it. But that doesn't always get you the best content. And they're starting to recognize that. So I feel like now it's, no, I don't really think it's necessary. It was something that I was under a lot of pressure to do. And I actually deleted my account a couple of years, about two and a half years ago. And I had a lot of followers, but I just was getting so distracted and comparing myself to other people. You know what I mean? It's easy to look at other people and say like, okay, why is, you know, why am I not working as much? Or even though you never know, people can splice and dice it and it's all smoke and mirrors. So I think for creative social media can be very distracting. I found myself getting into like, you know, after Trump won, I was getting into like political debates and I'm just like, how is this, you know, how is this moving me forward? Right. You know, so I've had to like cut down a lot. 
I actually just put my Instagram page on private last week because I don't, you know, it's just something about, I give as a creative, I give what I want to give mm-hmm. and I want to have some things for me and kind of having my life and some of my business kind of out in the open sphere. It's, I, I'm just finding it's not necessary because that pressure for creatives to create a following is not really there because the t- they want the talent. Mm-hmm. This summer I was in ABSS, American Black Film Festival, and I was talking to an agent at CAA, which is uh, one of the top agencies in the world. And he was saying to me that he doesn't think that creators need social media. And one of his big clients, who is actually um, a lead on a pretty popular show, does not have social media. And this guy um, also has a film coming out. So, and he has his career, is, you know, he's got a lot of momentum. I would say no. I would say it's not, I mean, depending on what you're selling. But I think that the social media space is so saturated now that. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you're a dope creative, you just have to be, it's a, that's a whole full-time job. Yes. <laughs> to, to have to like increase your following and post the right pictures with the right lighting and the right filters. That's a whole full-time job. And I'd rather spend that time writing and nurturing a script. <laughs> yes. Thank you. You're on my side. We're the winning side. Thank you for breaking that Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's how I'm um, starting to feel because even though I know that I I won't be able to do that necessarily with the creative outsiders, that's a whole Mm -hmm. other thing. But even with that, I'm slowly about to like hire somebody to manage that because I've just noticed that it takes away from me doing what I need to do. Like I want to write. I want to direct. I have stuff, projects that are like piling up and I'm, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's very easy. And even though I always talk about it on the show, like not comparing, don't worry about your likes. Like it's very easy to still get caught up in that. And I just don't want to be consumed with like who liked my picture. And if you thought that what I wrote in the comment was like appropriate or not. So. Right. And then the other thing is that now, you know, see all these uh, police shootings and mm-hmm. even this, this murder of this little boy from the Bronx junior. That was so sad. That's all over social media. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you find yourself, you know, I mean, it's really been breaking me up. You find yourself kind of getting off course. Mm-hmm. and really kind of just going down this rabbit hole of like becoming an investigator to find yes. all the facts, to see what <laughs> happened. Yes. And then, you you know, you might be working on a really great project, but all of a sudden, you know, for me, the activist side of me is like, mm-hmm. you know, yes. I need to do a film about him. Yes. I need to do a documentary about this hate. And then I'm like, I need to go to NYPD and I need to talk to them about doing something to bridge the community together. And then I'm like, oh my God, Me Too movement. It's a trigger. I need to do a rape doc. Like, you know, so. (laughs) Yeah. So you just have to be really disciplined. And I can't say I'm that disciplined. Right. I have to work at it. Yeah. So just to wrap up just this part of it, because I will will drag you down the whole break, like talking about this. (laughs) Here are some things that you do for self-care to make sure that you're okay this week like i like i told you i think with this whole when when that murder of that young boy in the bronx and then with the news and trump i just had to delete the news app on my phone because i'm on it a lot you know i run my own business so i'm constantly picking up my phone and you're getting these news alerts or you know i'm editing and i might stop and take a break and i'll just start looking at my phone (laughs) so i've had to take i've had to really go off the news channels again 
I've had to take the news off my phone. I've had to go through my inbox and kind of like unsubscribe and filter out a lot of um, things that are distracting, like shopping, (laughs) (laughs) things like that. She got this book called Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, a friend of mine. uh, She's a singer of Kansas. She lives in London. She was telling me about it and about how it's really transformed her life and her productivity. When you think about all the most successful people in the world, they all are very early risers and they have a routine that they stick to daily. So in order for me to be my best, like mentally, physically, and creatively, I realize that I have to also have a routine, which includes like getting up early. And some of these things I'm learning in this book, it's like getting up early, an hour early every day. So you might get up at six instead of seven. And for that hour, you know, you're, you're going to meditate for 10 minutes, read for 10 minutes, journal for 10 minutes, pray for 10 minutes, uh, exercise, whatever it is that you need to do that's going to jumpstart your day and make you feel like you've accomplished some things for you. So reading this book or not, I think that's just something very powerful for everyone. I think the other thing for me with my self-care, I try not to judge myself. You know, I just let my process be my process. I've gotten a lot better. Actually, I'm, yeah, I, don't, I don't fall into that whole comparing myself to other people's journeys anymore. But I definitely just kind of just try to take my time with things. You know, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm used to fast pace, move, 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 right? Go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And I've had to get comfortable with the fact that everyone doesn't move as fast as I do. If I have something that I'm working on and I'm waiting on others, I know that, okay, I can't rush the process, right? Because things happen in God's timing. But what I can control is this script I've been thinking about. So let me start working on that or an outline. Or let me read a book. You know, I'll have two books that I'm reading simultaneously. Like one might be like a self-help book and then one might be like, you know, something fiction that'll like take me to another world and let me like, you know, visualize this story and spark my creativity and that's pretty much it, I would say. Okay. And I'm, now I'm going to have to get that book. I'm such a book junkie. I have like so many books and they're just, they're all waiting for me. Like, <laughs> come on, Siobhan, read them. So I'm going to have to add that yeah. to my collection. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's really good. And then they have like a whole, um, they have all these resources on their website to help you. Okay. So you went to Italy for a semester to study film. Why was it important for you to do that? Why did you choose to do that for a semester? I had been living in Italy before I went to college, um, back to college. I was modeling out there when I was younger. And I just kind of became an adult out there. I was underage. (laughs) But I just, I think while in film school, we would watch a lot of foreign films. And, you know, so I always had a love, of, a love of Europe and just the people, you know, they, they kind of, uh, quality life is prioritized over, mm-hmm. like, success, you know, financial success, you know. So in film school, we would watch a lot of foreign films, and some of my favorite films would, would be films by Italian filmmakers or South Americans. So it was mostly those two countries, um, a couple French films, but mostly, like, Italian. And I just really wanted to just go out there and just experience it and just, the architecture, the land is very old. There's a lot of parts of Italy that are untouched. And I just felt like it would be a new experience. I, I don't know how you could be a creative and you not try to digest as much as possible. Like, 
Yes. Like had diverse experiences and, and points of views and ways of seeing life. Like how could you build characters if you don't expose yourself? Yes. To everything. So that's why I did a study abroad and it was great. I highly recommend it. And how do you think that shaped your voice as a filmmaker or did it any? Uh, actually, I think all of my travels and all, I think all my experiences shaped my voice. Um, I'm not, I can't say Italy shaped my voice, but what it did do, the funny thing is while I was there, I was, you know, still in film school. We, we, I, I went to city college, but we, I did this, I did this semester in Italy through Columbia university. <laughs> the, the project that we wound up doing for like the class project for the semester was a project that I was going to do already as my own personal project. And then when our professor came, I had, it was a bunch of male students. <laughs> a couple of them got together and started to pitch my project as the senior project. I'm like, wait, hold up. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> right? So I'm like, you know, and, and that whole, you know, so it's like the misogyny started back in film school. It was completely ridiculous. And the professor who, she was a woman, she's a woman, um, and she was just like, okay, what's going on? So the other students were like, yeah, that's messed up. I almost feel a project in her face and try to make it the class right. project. So the professor was like, okay, y'all really are passionate about this project, then she has to direct it. If that's what she wants to do, whatever role she wants to take in this. And the, the, the male students were kind of like dying inside. But they had to relent because that was the only way we were doing this. And I'm just like, listen, I'm doing my film regardless. I don't need you guys. Mm-hmm. So, so we decided that would be our, our project. While on set, I remember like the guy who was chosen to be like the boom mic operator for sound. At one point, you know, we had actors. We had found some actors. One girl was like there vacationing from um, it was in the summer. One girl was vacationing from London, and we found another actor. Who, we actually found two actors from London, but they just happened to be in Italy, and they both had red hair. It's really funny. And so at one point, we were shooting a night scene, and the boom mic operator, <laughs> he yells out, uh, cut. And everyone kind of stopped, and we're just kind of looking at no one said anything, and then we're kind of talking about the scene, blah, blah, blah. And before I could say action, you know, when the first AD did the role, he's like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, quiet on set, roll sound, roll camera, rolling, rolling. Then the, the boom mic operator yells, action. I was like, no. So the, <laughs> yeah. So my actor, she turns and looks at me like, what the fuck, right? And I just nodded <laughs> to her like, don't pay him any attention. And we just like kind of took a deep breath and, and then I yelled action. And that's when she, she began the scene. You know, that just kind of showed me that when dealing with men, you have to be on point. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of just, they're going to try you. They are going to try you because, and, and the funny thing is that this was a person of color. It, was, it doesn't matter. You know, I think a lot of people had these antiquated views of women's roles and they just couldn't handle a woman being in charge, especially one looking like me. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is that all the locals in the town, when we shot this project, we were in a town called Otranto, Otranto, mm-hmm. which is in the Puglia region. Very, very tiny. Not very popular with Americans. It's really beautiful. And all the people in the town, like our classrooms, our classroom where we had our classes was in an old castle. And they would all call me Capitano. All the Italians, all the men, they would see me in the streets. Oh, Capitano, Capitano. <laughs> So, <laughs> Capitano. 
so that really like gassed me up and I was just like yeah I'm the fucking captain <laughs> like the boss so that pumped me up because they recognized we never right. had a conversation with them but they observed enough to know that I was in charge and gave me that that label <laughs> so it, that actually gave me a lot of confidence because it showed that despite what was happening behind the scenes obviously I carried myself in a way to to <laughs> let others recognize and I feel like with European men they're not as bad as Americans they're a little more open not all but in my experiences I found them to be more open in terms of um accepting women in certain roles but that's good that was a that was a good boost right there (laughs) yeah that was definitely hot So people listening after this probably will go and Google you and see that your clients have included AOL, Barnes & Noble, Kmart, AT&T, the Nicki Minaj collection, A&E television, Mm -hmm. and we could go on. Mm -hmm. And they could see that and get overwhelmed and say, well, how did you get started? How did you get to the point where you were able to have all of those clients under your belt? Okay, so you want the honest answer or the bull, bull no, crappy answer? No, honest answer. <laughs> the honest answer. Okay, so I was just, I was just focused on writing. I, I went to film school, but I just wanted to be a writer. And about eight years ago, I was working with Dame Dash. We used to have this, uh, he had a gallery downtown. And we call, it was called ZD172. We used to call it the dojo. And, you know, I was kind of running the film department. Kind of messy situation. <laughs> But it was cool. It was fun. And Dame just really was just always wanting me to direct my own stuff. And he just gave me a really hard time and forced me to direct and would accuse me of being scared. And we'd have parties a lot. And every time people were like hanging out, he'd just always make me get a camera, shoot a film, shoot something right now. So he kind of forced me into it. So when I, you know, he and I, I would have conflicts with him a lot. I've known him for a very long time. So I would like leave for like, I would just walk out and leave for like a week or two. And then I'd always come back and we'd act like nothing happened. I would just go back to my office. <laughs> but the final, my final straw, because this was, it was just a really like um, unhealthy competitive, the competitiveness in that environment was not very healthy. So I just had to leave. I had went on a date with this guy who worked at AOL and he told me about this studio that they had called Studio Now where they would hire people, you know, independent filmmakers to direct content for them and for the different sites under the AOL umbrella. And I had to um, send them my information. I think he kind of nudged me through a little. You know, it wasn't a love connection. Like, I wasn't into him like that, but Mm -hmm. he definitely, we became friends. (laughs) So I wound up getting booked for my first AOL job, which was for Wacol Bras. (laughs) And um, I had, they, they, I was on the phone with them. They're like, oh, we want, uh, you know, 720 by 1080p. Can you do that? I'm like, sure. We want this and want that and this, that. And 24 frames per second. I mean, I knew that part, but right. some of the things they were saying to me, I had no idea they was, what they were talking about. I was just writing it down. Maybe about six months before that, I was to have been in a New, new Balance commercial. And I was following, they wanted to see, was following the, the DP around. Um, or maybe he was just a camera guy. I'm not sure if he was the actual DP, but he was a black guy named Kerwin Devonish, who actually is Spike Lee's DP. So I'm just following him around trying to learn. So when I get the phone with these LOL people, I call him like, oh my God, I don't know what they're talking about. What is this mean? <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do, but I need the money. 
And he's like, Ugh, you're one of those fake it till you make it type that I hate, but I'm going to help you. <laughs> and he helped me. He came to the shoot with me with his fancy cameras and lights and we shot it. It was actually with Al- Alana Glazer, her and another girl who worked for LL. And we were doing bra fittings for them. And um, after that, you know, I came home and I hadn't edited. I, I learned to edit on Final Cut in college, but I hadn't used it in like seven, like, I don't know, like maybe like five years. So I had to like, no, actually not at that point. It was four years. Yeah. So I, I didn't really, I just remember like the codes and stuff. So anyway, I, I edited up on Final Cut, sent it to them. They loved it. They're like, oh my God, it's doing really well. It's one of the top videos. So we're going to book you for a bunch of stuff. So they wound up booking me for, you know, so I, the Barnes and Noble thing was through them. And some of the other ones, I can't remember right now, but a lot of that was through AOL. And then from that, you know, people that I know, they were kind of like, oh, I, I saw this thing you worked on and you need to do this. And it kind of just, that's how it rolled out. And then like with the Nicki Minaj and Kmart stuff, that was through a friend of mine who referred me for it. For the A and E stuff, which is um, I don't know if you saw the Taraji P Henson stuff on my page. Yes, on my on my reel. So that was for a film that she did that was on Lifetime. So they had hired me to do like some fun social media, like you know, viral videos, and that was through a friend as well. So I kind of had these relationships with people. I'm just super friendly. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so I mean that goes a long way. So when the time comes around when people are like, oh, I need something for this. And then they're like, oh, what about Tony? You know, and a lot of the jobs I've done, it was, I didn't, especially early on, I didn't get paid a lot of money, but I didn't always do it for the money. You know, a lot of times, you know, you have to create like uh, brand equity. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to get like $100,000 a day from like this like Kmart job or this Pantene job. But I did a Kmart job and a Pantene job. Right. So that's going to give me credibility to go and do other things. Yes, you had a lot of, you know, important relationships that assisted you. But I also am a believer in divine moments. And that just was your divine moment to propel you to where you needed to be. So I like it. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's my divine moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe we all get them like all throughout life. And it's like, do you step up to the plate when that moment happens or do you let it pass by? Yeah. I mean, honestly, so I, sometimes though, it's funny because I know so many people that sometimes I get some of these divine (laughs) uh, moments where I'll meet these incredibly people, incredible people, but I'm not always ready in the Mm -hmm. moment, you know, but in those situations, I just kind of try to stay in touch with the people. And, you know, I've tried to just, keep them abreast of what I'm what I'm doing and things that are going on with me because but sometimes you know I had to get to a point I'm like listen you can't you know you can't every opportunity that comes I just don't have the bandwidth for it you know what I mean so it's like and you're going to be all over the place Mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard when you're starting to not be all over the place because you kind of have to just take the work that you get because it's like especially for a a black woman it was just you know, we would get passed over so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Tell us about your two projects that you're working on now. So Potty Break is, so I have not acted in many years. I thought I was only going to be behind the camera, but <laughs> this project happened and I wrote it. Usually I don't write for me. 
Mm-hmm. But this one particular character, I'm just like, okay, no one else can play this but me. And I was like, let me just stop being shy and just, just do it. It's going to be really hard, but I'm going to just do it anyway. And, you know, just to challenge myself. Mm-hmm. So it's basically about these two women who are kind of aging party girls, like they're in their 30s. And it's kind of, you know, they get paid to go to the club. Like this actually, when I was in college, I used to get paid to go to clubs. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's where I got the idea from. So every episode, we meet them in the bathroom. So that's why it's called Potty Break. And, you know, so each episode is about five to ten minutes, I'm sorry, five to six minutes long. They kind of just go through the motions of having different conversations or experiences, like bathroom emergencies and things that might gross people out. But what I wanted to show is like being private and public. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like you might see these two really cute, you know, trendy girls running around the club or in the scene, but you don't know in the bathroom. <laughs> if it goes down, like they might have like, you know, it's a situation. Mm-hmm. So the characters are kind of like, you know, Tony's character, which is the one I play. <laughs> she's kind of like a Lucille Ball. If Lucille Ball was born in Harlem. Oh. And then, I yeah. Like and then Donna. Donna, I guess, would be like an Ethel if Ethel was born in, in England. Okay. <laughs> I like that. So she's British. Yeah, it's fun. It's cool, though. It reminded me of what... I feel like all me and my girlfriends do when we go out, we somehow (laughs) some way end up in the bathroom. Like, and there's always a story. Like there's always something that happens in the bathroom, whether we're like trying to avoid somebody. So we go in the bathroom and then we end up like meeting these other people in the bathroom. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. That happens in it. And then we have, we have, uh, I don't know if you watch, she's got to have it on Netflix, but we have the actress, her name is Santana. She plays a Lulu Blackman, who's Marza's sister, the one that's in Santeria. And then, um, and that conversation, it's crazy. Like it's crazy. And then uh, we have Robert Glasper, the jazz musician. Okay. Um, So this will be like his first acting role, but he plays like this, uh, like raunchy kind of R&B singer. And he's pretty funny. It's a little, it's a small role, but it's good. He's he's really, really, really good. So yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. So when will this be out? Do you have a time frame for that? Uh, I had it my way to be out right now, but right now it's with some, you know, my, you know, my team, my reps, we're trying to figure that out right now. So, so this is the thing. Initially, my plan was to just shoot it and just throw it on the internet, Mm -hmm. but the problem with doing that is that because the internet is so flooded with content and so saturated, you don't want your stuff to get lost in the sauce. Right. So I spent a lot of money out of pocket to do it. And I would like to have it at least have a home, you know, so if it goes to a brand or, you know, it's a content provider that already has a built in audience, Mm -hmm. it would be much easier. And and with that, you know, it, it might look like me just licensing it or, or whatever, but it definitely, that is the way to go right now. <laughs> like the whole Issa Rae, Opera Black Girl, or even um, Broad City, you know, mm-hmm. when they were doing those shows, yeah. that was back in like 2010, 11, where the market wasn't so saturated. So the other project is uh, um, Tracy L. Fisher, Unapologetic. And it is about this gentleman named Tracy L. Fisher, who was the first person tried under the drug kingpin laws in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And he served 23 years behind bars in federal penitentiary. 
And while in there, he created this 10-step program for reentry where he would help and teach um, newly released inmates how to not go back in. Mm-hmm. Because he just couldn't understand, like, all the guys he would see released, they all say, like, everyone dreams about the day they get out, and they all say how they're never coming back. But, like, 80% of them go back from either violating parole or getting back there and still being involved in criminal activity. So he would research and interview these guys and compile all this information over, like, a 10-year period. And he came up with these 10 steps. So that was initially what the doc was about and just kind of just walking through his journey. He's actually involved in um, the political scene in Pennsylvania now. Mm -hmm. And he's actually aligned with some Republicans, which um, is really interesting because... Very. Oddly, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, we'll see how it plays out. You know, we're kind of... One of the guys who's supporting him actually won the Republican nomination for governor. You know, we're going to follow that journey. And I think we're going to have Meek Mill involved in the documentary now. Our producer is a, he's a play for the 76ers. So he is, you know, really committed to this story and this journey. Um, Tracy also got diagnosed with cancer back in January. So that kind of stared us in a different direction. So, so, you know, with documentary, you kind of go on with one idea, but then it sometimes starts to create itself. Yeah. <laughs> It does. And that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Did you get to watch that one, the trailer? No, I have to go or back. The teaser? I have to go back and yeah. look at it. I was so busy because once I read it, the um, blurb you had about it, then I had to, I went and Googled his name. I, yeah, I went on a whole nother trail. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> I was like, oh, let me see yeah. what comes up on him. Yeah, so I was just gone down the whole Google rabbit trail after that. Oh, yeah. He's interesting. He's really dope. It's funny because I, you know, he's just a great example of how God can use anyone. Yes. You know, so you just really, I think the thing that hurts us the most is people judging people. Absolutely. And, and kind of just tossing them away because you just really never know who God, who God is going to use. I agree. And yeah, but the church, yeah, there's a teaser for that, like a six minute teaser for that on my Vimeo page. I'm going to go look at that when we are done. Mm-hmm. So our famous last two questions. What are you watching okay. and what are you reading? What am I watching? I'm actually, to be honest, I am watching a show on uh, Paramount Network. It used to be, used to be Spike TV. Okay. <laughs> and it's called uh, Mother or, or Mom. It's called Mom. And it is really hilarious. Uh, Allison Janney is in it like I've been binge watching it and it's pretty funny and what am I reading right now I'm reading two books I'm reading Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod and I'm also reading um, Barracoon which is Zora Neale Hurston's latest release although she's been dead forever she wrote this book back in the 1930s about this man named Cujo who was on the last slave ship from Africa to the United States Mm-hmm. And it's it's really important. It's really a hard read. It's interesting because a lot of her contemporaries at the time, like W.E.B. D. Du Bois and the like, were not supportive of this book mm-hmm. because I guess the story of slavery and all that pain and everything was something that they wanted to put behind them, and they felt that like the best way to uplift the people and to move forward is to put the past behind and to assimilate 
to show that we are, you know, you know, the whole concept of the talented right. tenth and all of that. So they kind of just stifled her creativity and weren't, weren't supportive of it. So the book was shelved a historian founded and you know Alice Walker has had played a big role in getting her work to the masses with their eyes are watching God so that's what I'm reading and it's dope it's really good I think everyone should read it and I just finished book I just finished was uh the last black unicorn was that good I want to read Tiffany Haddish yeah yeah very good it's very good it's a memoir you know so my best really funny did she read that? Yes. My best friend read that one and she told me she enjoyed it. So I'm gonna have to, I have, yeah, I have a list of books. I just feel like anybody who's listening, if you just want to send me some Amazon gift cards, I would. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you I can would, do a, what's the, you can do the audio book too. Yes. I do like listening in audio. I should have gotten, um, Charlemagne's in audio, but I, I ended up reading it. I'm a Charlemagne. Oh, okay. How was that? It was so good. <laughs> it was really, really good. I told everybody, you'll be pleasantly surprised. However, I like Charlemagne. Some people don't, but I do. But even if you don't, I think that you will enjoy the book. So it's really good. Okay, I'm going to check it out. Yes. I will definitely check it out. Please do. And if you read it. Yay, thank you. Send me a message and let me know how you like it. Yes, I'm actually about to email you something right now. Okay. It's a it's a surprise. <laughs> Yay! I like surprises. It may or, it may or may not be a book that we spoke about. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to send that to you. Thank you. But thank you so much for having me on your program. Yes, I'm so glad that you took your time to do so and I'm a big uh, fan of people supporting. So let everyone know how they can find your work, how they can keep up with you, those type of things. So my, I guess my social media is uh, at Tony Ty, that's T-O-N-I-T-H-A-I. And my website is TonyTai.com. Yeah, so we're just actually, my team and I, we're in the process of just updating everything right now so we can hit the ground running come July. And yeah, that's pretty much it. But I got a lot of fun stuff in store. I have a Pantene spot that a couple of few actually a few Pantene spots that I just directed last week. So that should be out soon. And those are really fun. There was some social media influencers. So I'm sure you'll probably see them on social media circulating. Okay. Thank you so much. And to anyone listening, please just, I would just like to say, do not ever give up. And also, it is actually really in your best interest to never compare yourself to other people, to walk your own journey. And your only competition is in the mirror. I promise you. I promise you. So many people in this business and industry are looking at what the other person is doing and comparing and criticizing and judging. And that's all like bullshit. Doesn't get you anywhere. It might, but temporarily you'll be unhappy. So I think that the best way to have a happy and healthy career is just to focus on yourself and mind your business <laughs> and never give up. Yes. And I'm a big fan of what she said about minding your business. Yes. Just mind, <laughs> mind your business, mind stay, your in your business. Lane, stay in your lane and it's all good. Yes, ma'am. Okay. 
So until next time, y'all know the drill. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Go live your filmmaking dreams. And make sure that you subscribe. You leave comments, questions, and go on our social, social media at The Creative Outsiders. Talk to y'all later.